0: All right. Let us pray. Baruch ata Adonai lohenu melach haolam asher kidishanu bemitzvotav vitzivanu va'asok bedivrei Torah. Blessed are you, eternal our God, ruler of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to immerse ourselves in words of Torah. Eternal, our God, maker, make the words of your Torah pleasant in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel, so that we and our descendants and the descendants of your people, the house of Israel, may all know your name and study the Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, O Lord, who teaches Torah to your people Israel. Baruch ata Adonai. Thank you. Now, um, I think you all had a very special treat last week with Rabbi Spitzer here, and uh, got to see something of which, the you know, how a Torah is made and what it consists of. Uh, are there any sort of impressions or questions that you have from last week that you didn't seem to get answered or Okay, one thing that was sort of almost might have flown by, and I did want for your sakes to clarify this, is the fact that if you look closely at the pages of the Torah scroll, Rabbi Spitzer pointed out that there are these lines scored, and that the letters don't sit on the lines, they hang from them. This is what is behind that great Jewish rabbi Jesus of Nazareth saying that on the two commandments you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, that the entire Torah hangs by those two commandments. That's what he was alluding to. It's as if those two commandments were the scoring that runs through the entire book of the Torah. Okay. I wanted to do a quick review because now we're going to apply some of what we have studied so far. I talked about how for a Jewish person studying the Torah, the key word is actually an acronym. It is Pardes, which is four consonants, Pe, Resh, dalid, Samech. Okay? And Pardes stands for Peshat, Remes, Drash, Sod. Peshat means straight out, straightforward, spread out. The straightforward meaning of the text. Remes, hint or allusion. Something in the text that just kind of niggles at your memory, niggles at your mind, as if, what's that doing here? Why is it stated this way? Drash, what Remez is meant to search, send you on, to search out the deeper meanings of the text. And uh, remember I talked about two types of, of Midrash. Midrash Halakha. Concerned with, well, how do you live this out? In practice, Halacha basically meaning the walk. Okay? And Midrash Agada which is concerned with more narrative, speculative, imaginative. It's basically what happens when you've encountered a truth so profound you can't describe it. The only thing you can do is tell stories. And that's a lot of what Midrash Agada is. We would perhaps be more familiar with it is that this is teaching in parables. This is teaching by, you know, parabolic teaching. And then finally, Sod, secret or esoteric, which is the secret or mystical dimension. And what I wanted to do Uh, It was not based on, but it was inspired by this wonderful book by Lawrence Kushner, which I do recommend to you. God was in this place, and I, capital I, I, little I, didn't know. Did not know. And it's basically on a single passage, a single sentence, which is when Jacob awakes from his dream, and he says... Behold, the eternal is in this place, the Anohi Loyadati. And I, I did not know. And that wording is very intentionally. So, what we're going to do is start. And we're going to start with the passage. Now, what's interesting is this starts with verse 10 of Bereishi 28, of Genesis 28. But that is not, and it's not the beginning of a chapter, but it is the beginning of a Torah portion. Whoops, got the wrong screen up here. Hold on. dee doo Uh-huh. This is the wrong Bible. Here we go. Well, yeah. What I need to remember is that I'm teaching a different portion of Tanakh on Thursday evenings. So, here we go. Bingo! It's the beginning of the parasha, which, like in Hebrew, the books of the Bible, takes its name from the opening word, or keyword of the passage, Vayetzeh. And he went out. This is Parashat Vayetze. And what we're looking at in particular is we are going to be looking at verses 10 through 17. Okay, and at this time I would like to have some volunteers to read verses 10 through 17 in as many different translations as we've got. So who would like to start? Chapter 28, verses 10 through 17. Bereshit, Genesis. Just can't shake that Greek, can you? Good Presbyterians. Okay.
1: This is NRSV. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth the top of it reaching to the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven.
0: Okay. Someone with another translation other than NRSV.
2: This is uh, King James. Then went Esau into Ishmael, and took unto the wives which he had. No, and and Jacob. Okay, I'm sorry. And Jacob went out from Bathsheba, Bathsheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set, and he took all of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending onto it, on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest. To thee I will give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places, whether thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awoke, awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not.
0: Okay. That's fine. Now, I notice you read with special emphasis, I am. Okay? Well, there's only one difficulty with those capitalized I am that you have in the King James Version. There is no present tense of the verb to be in Hebrew. So that is a serious mistranslation. Okay? Because, especially, it is emphasizing a non-existent word. Okay? So that's maybe the first lesson in pshat that we have. There is no present tense of the verb to be in any Semitic language. Not Hebrew, not Aramaic, not Arabic, not Ugaritic. I don't care which Semitic language you happen to be reading. Why? <sighs> That's just the way it is, my friend. <laughs> it's like Tevya said, and you ask you, why, you know, you know, who's got this whole tradition started? And I'll tell you, I don't know. That would be a wonderful way of looking at the worldview that the language fosters. That because there is no word for the present moment, you have to enter into it. Don't forget also that Hebrew, Aramaic, Arabic, all Semitic languages are not based on nouns. They're based on verbs. Every word has a three-letter verb root. Okay? And although there is a sort of coined word that you will find in some dictionaries for the present tense of to be, in some present Israeli Hebrew English dictionaries, hoveh, it's never found anywhere in any biblical text. It does not exist. In other words, the, the, the worldview that is constructed by the Hebrew language is one of which all of reality it is not made up of things with properties it's made up of actions and events things happen they never are things happen they never are and that's a whole different way of looking at reality it's a whole different way of looking at reality Believe you me, the Buddha would have had a far easier time teaching the doctrine of impermanence to a Semitic language audience. Yeah. I'll get to that in a moment. Any other translations? Okay. Do you have the JPS Study Bible there with you? No, you don't. Okay. Let me read, first of all, the JPS Study, uh, the JPS Bible translation of this, which is done by Jewish scholars. And Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. He came upon a certain place and stopped there for the night, for the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream. A stairway was set on the ground, and its top reached to the sky, and angels of God were going up and down on it. And the Lord was standing beside him, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The ground on which you were lying I will assign to you and to your offspring. Your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north. And to the south, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and your descendants. Remember, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Shaken, he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the abode of God, and that is the gateway to heaven. And by contrast, this is an orthodox translation into English. Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took from the stones of the place which he arranged around his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamt, and behold, a ladder was set earthward, and its top reached heavenward. And behold, angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, Hashem was standing over him. And he said, I am Hashem, God of Abraham, God of your father, uh, uh, father, and God of Isaac. "...the ground upon which you are lying, to you will I give it, and to your descendants. Your offspring shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out powerfully westward, eastward, northward, and southward. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and by your offspring. Behold, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will return you to this soil." for I will not forsake you until I have done all that I have promised, spoken about, uh, about you. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Hashem is, this, is present in this place, and I did not know. And he became frightened and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the abode of God, and this is the gate of the heavens. Okay, now, Comments, questions? Anything in particular? Yes. I didn't wear a hat, I wore a collar. How do I do that? How do I handle that? I do my own. Okay, And I'd like to do it with certain emphases. So I think I need to take this off of my ear, because occasionally I'll need to emphasize. This is my rendition of the Hebrew. Okay, and Jacob, if I can read it, and Jacob went out from Beer Sheva to go towards Haran, and he encountered the place, and he lodged there because the the sun had gone down, and he took from the stones of the place and set them under his head, and he lay down and slept in that place. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and his head reached the heavens. Notice I said his head, not its. There is no neutral gender in Hebrew. And his head reached the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were going up and coming down on him. And behold, Haviah, the name, stood over him and said, I am the Eternal, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, and the land that you are relying upon to you, and I give it, and to your descendants. Scroll. And be and, and it, I hate doing this uh, and your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth and you shall break forth to the west and to the east to the north and to the south and all the families of the earth will bless themselves by you by your descendants uh, be, and behold, I am with you. Okay. And I will guard you in all that you go, and I will bring you back to this ground, and I will, uh, and I will not depart from you until I have done for you everything that i spoken of. And Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Behold, The eternal is in this place, and I I did not know it. Or, I, I didn't know. And he was awed, overawed, and he said, how awesome is this place. This is no other than the house of God, and this is the gate of the heavens. All right. Now, I did that for a reason. First of all, if we go from the level of the straightforward, the Peshat, and we're asking, are there some hints, some Rimazim that are being given in this text? Well, actually, there are two very key words that seem strangely... Out of place in some ways. And they are really key words. The first is the word hamakom, which is the place. It is used over and over in this text. Hamakom, and he encountered the place. And he lay down in the place. And he took from the stones of the place. Now, what place is he referring to? Well, now let's step back a little bit and not try to be so exalted. Consider yourself a devout Jew. What is the place par excellence? Jerusalem, thank you. What else happened in the place and is referred to uh, by that way? Earlier in Genesis, something that concerned Abraham's father, turn to Genesis 22. Okay, sometime afterward, God put Abraham to the test. He said to him, Abraham, and he answered, here I am. Uh, It's one word in Hebrew, hineni, behold me. And he said, take your son, your favored one, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the heights that I will point out to you. So early next morning, Abraham saddled his ass and took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. He split the wood for the burnt offering and he set out for the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place from afar. Do you begin to get the picture? Okay. At this point... A good midrash would be when Isaac when Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau with his stolen blessing and his father's further blessing on his way to go to his trickster cousin Laban where would he stop and pay devotion the place the place where his father had nearly been offered as a sacrifice, the place which came to be known as Jerusalem. Okay, why would he stop there? Now you're engaging in midrash. Now you're engaging in a imaginative reconstruction. What is he doing in that place? But why that particular place? Hmm? Life? What do you mean by that? Unpack it a little. Isaac, Isaac was given his life back. He offered it up. How how old was Isaac when he was offered up? Anybody know? He was 36. He was 36. Because immediately after the the binding of Isaac, the very next parashah is the death of Sarah. How old was Sarah when she died? 136. Okay. Okay. No, I mean, yeah, 127. You're right. How old was she when she conceived? 90. So how old was Isaac? 36, 37, somewhere around there. Okay. Any particular significance to the number 36? Anybody know that? The Hebrew word for life, hai, het yod, as the numerical equivalent of 18. Twice 18 is 36. Isaac, in effect, had two lives one up to the binding and one after the binding. Okay, but you know, we, a lot is made of the fact, oh, the little kid probably just didn't understand, you know. And he says to his father, so going up and hey, dad, where's the goat? You know? That wasn't the question. Father, and he said, I'm here. Behold the fire and the wood and the knife. Where is the ram for a burnt offering? In other words, what was his question? Which of us is going to offer up the other? Which of us, too, is going to be the burnt offering? Am I going to be sacrificing you, or are you going to be sacrificing me? and abraham answered hashem will supply the sacrifice himself my son and abraham and a moment isaac said okay i'm the, i'm i'm the ram and they went together from that point he was willing he was willing this again is midrash so why does jacob want to stop precisely in that place where his father Isaac offered himself up as a sacrifice at the hands of his own father? What? Yeah, you could say that. Let me give you another interpretation then. Because this word, Hamakom, is the favorite rabbinic word for whoops, wrong pen, God Himself. Okay, you remember last week? I passed out to you this little H.com study guide. And there's a little quote down here. And this is from a, a Midrash Yalkut Shimoni Viyaatsei, Hint Remez. Number 117, and he arrived at the place. Why is God called Makom Place? Because he is the place of the world, and the world is not his place. He is the place of the world and the world is not his place. There's a wonderful blessing in the morning liturgy said every day by Orthodox Jews. (coughs) 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 Uh, Excuse me. Went to a chanting workshop yesterday and probably chanted a little too much. Uh, So there is a... Where did my train of thought just got derailed? Oh yeah. And the world is not his place. There is a beautiful portion of the morning liturgy that is a blessing that introduces the section which is all consisting of psalms. It's called Pesuke de Zimra, passages of song. Okay, and it starts, Baruch Hamakom Baruch Hu. Blessed is the place. Blessed be he. Okay. And that is referring to God. And there is a, an interesting part of the Haggadah of Pesach, which introduces four sons. One who is wise, one who is wicked, one who is simple, and one who doesn't even know how to ask a question. And the introduction to that. Is, a, is, is again that same phrase. Baruch Hamakom, Baruch Hu. Blessed be the place, blessed be He, Baruch Shenatan Torah le'amo Yisrael. Blessed be the one who gave Torah to His people Israel, blessed be He. Okay, in other words, for a Jewish person, and now listen to how that might possibly read then if I were going to translate the passage in this way. And Jacob left Beersheba and he went towards Haran and he encountered God and lodged there because the sun had set and he took some of the stones of God and placed them at his head and he lay down in God. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the ground, and his head reached to the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon him. And behold, Hashem was standing over him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land upon which you are lying to you I will give, and to your seed And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall gain strength westward and eastward, northward and southward, and through you shall be blessed all the families of the earth and through your seed. And behold, I am with you, and I will guard you wherever you go and will restore you to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I have spoken concerning you. And Jacob awoke from his sleep, and he said, Behold, Hashem is in God. The name is in God, and I did not know Anohi, I. Now, how many different interpretations do you think you can come up with on that basis? 70 faces to the Torah. Okay. He fell asleep in God. He encountered God. He took some of God's stones. He lay down. He had a sleep. He had a dream. And he fell asleep in God and he dreamed. So, what didn't he know before? If he had encountered God and he knew that this was the place where Abraham and his father Isaac had encountered God, Why did he say, HaShem is in this place and I did not know, I? Okay. Where does this vision take place? Okay. Where does this vision take place? What was his mental state when he had the vision? He was asleep. He was dreaming. So where did the vision take place? In his head. This is all taking place in his head. Okay. So if this is all taking place in his head and it's in a dream, Clearly, it's one of those dreams that he remembered rather clearly when he woke up. Do you remember all the dreams you have when you wake up? Sometimes that's a blessing. But he obviously remembered this one. Now, what was happening in this dream? Okay, now, keep in mind, there are certain important factors when you're coming to interpret a dream in any biblical text. One of them is the fact that in Hebrew scripture, how does God use dreams? God used dreams as a medium of prophecy. Okay, this is a, this is a prophecy. This is God making God's self known to Jacob. Two other important rules. And we'll come back to the second of these, which I learned from that great sage of dream work, Carl Gustav Jung, the father of analytical psychology. Had two rules for people interpreting dreams. I took a wonderful growth. Uh, wonderful workshop, Personal Growth Through Dreams, from an analytical psychologist, and he always emphasized two rules. Number one, everything in your dream has meaning. Rule number two, this is the one that's a little bit sobering, everything in your dream is you. Everything in your dream is you. Where was this gene taking place? Inside Jacob's head. So everything he was dreaming was taking place in him. It was him. Okay. Can't get much more personal than that. So what were the angels of God ascending and descending on? Him. There is no it in Hebrew. What was the ladder? The ladder was Jacob. The angels of God were ascending and descending upon Jacob. And God was standing over Jacob. And we'll get a little deeper in a moment. Okay. Now, the other key word is this very intensive form of of the verb I. No, I don't misplace them. I just forget where I put them. The word is Anochi. Anochi. There are two words for I in Hebrew. One is the word Ani. The Aramaic equivalent of Ana. I mean it's the equivalent in Aramaic is ana. Ani just means I. Now, <clears throat> almost everyone here had the translation the eternal was in this place and I did not know it. Okay. In other words, what did not ja- what did Jacob say he did not know? That God was in that place. Now if he went to the place because it was the place and it was already an encounter with God what does he mean to say that God was in this place and I did not know? Clearly something more is at stake. What more is at stake is this word anochi. Okay. If he had just meant I didn't know the fact he doesn't even need to use the word ani. He could say, you know, he could have said ani lo I did not know. Or he could have left it out entirely and said, Yesh Hashem Bamakom hazeh vlo And I did not know. Because Loyadati just by itself means I didn't know. So why this word? Anohi, Anohi is not the subject of the sentence, it's the object. In other words, he's not saying, I did not know the fact, I did not know know Anohi. And by the way, In Aramaic, how would you say the equivalent of anohi? Inana, which is a doubling of I. Okay? In other words, it would be I. I. Inana. Guess who used that in Aramaic on several occasions, according to the Gospel of John. All of these so-called I am statements, if you look at the Aramaic Peshitta, first of all, no word am. I, I. Inanna. Lachmadechai. Inanna. I, I. Bread of life. I, I. Way, truth, and life. Okay. And I'm making this emphasis because what does the word I, I, what does I he mean? It means himself. Okay. Remember I told you everything in your dream is you? So what is Jacob discovering here that he had not known before? Not just present in me, but This is my true self. This is who I really am. I and God are not two separate people. This takes it to a whole new level. This takes it to the level of Sod, of the secret esoteric. In other words, what is Jacob seeing for the first time at Bethel? He's seeing what a lot of religious thinkers have called the grand identity. As the Christian mystic Meister Eckhart would have put it, my truest I is God. My truest I is God. There is no separation. And in Jewish eyes, and this is important to keep in mind, there never has been. There never has been. Yeah. In other words, how can your true self forsake you. Odd there does not mean I will not leave you or forsake you until I can fulfill everything that I've spoken about you and then it's sayonara. That's not the way God is because if God is your true self, how can you ever leave God? If God is the place of the world, Can you ever stray outside of God? Yes? I'm glad you brought that up, Dan. Because there's another key place where the word anohi... The word anochi is used in this passage when God in the dream tells him Anochi imach. I, I, with you. I, I, with you. But there's another key place where anochi is used. Where would that be? Anybody? It's the first word in a very important passage in the book of Exodus. Repeated in Deuteronomy. Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I, I, the Eternal, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay? The commandments are not conditions of your relationship with God. They are the inevitable consequences of what it means to be in relation to God. You want to foster and feed this? This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Okay? Another way of looking at it, I love the story that was told shortly after I came to Israel. We had a tour guide who had been, he'd grown up on a socialist kibbutz, you know, had not been a believer in God, had not really thought about it, but he was an enthusiastic naturalist. And one of the things that he noticed is the variety of vegetation in different parts of Israel, depending on climate and soil conditions, how much rainfall, you know, how much moisture, you know, what was in the soil, And he noticed that for every living, growing plant, there were certain conditions that fostered its growth and the lack of those conditions or the presence of other conditions would inhibit its growth. And he suddenly asked, okay, what are the optimal conditions for the growth of a human being? And that's what led to his conversion to Judaism is he came to see the Commandments are like operating manual for spaceship Adam. An operating manual for spaceship humankind. I remember, I, I know we're not supposed to mention Garrison Keeler's name, but you know, I can't help it. One of his favorites, my favorite sketches he did once, was this marvelous thing like A Trip Inside John's Mind and it imagined different parts of his brain while he was sitting in a business meeting, talking with each other about, you know, what was going on. He said, oh, he's not supposed to look at her eyes straight forward. You know, all these types of things and everything. And finally, one of them says, are we operating this person at full capacity? What are the conditions for operating your life at full capacity? Okay. Well, that's the other thing. What makes a separation between you and God? You do. That's exactly what sin is. Sin is the self-imposed barrier. It's like putting your hand up in front of the sun and saying, oh, the sun is not there. It's like a child covering her eyes and thinking that you can't see her playing a game of hide-and-seek. That's what we do. We put that barrier between ourselves. So, who's responsible for removing it? We are. We are. Okay. In Judaism, this is a very simple, straightforward proposition. It's like the rule that Robert Fulghum learned in kindergarten. You made a mess, you clean it up. Okay? You created this barrier between yourself and your true self, God, and now it's up to you to get rid of it. And the process for doing that, we call Teshuvah, which literally means turning around. We usually translate it as repentance. The Greek would be metanoia, which literally means change of mind. But essentially the Jewish word, teshuva, means to completely turn around, face a different direction. Turn your life around. Uh, Here we go, back with the childhood memories. When I was growing up in Denver, we went to a synagogue that was later characterized by one Jewish wag as Reconformadox. We were not orthodox, it had been a part of the conservative movement, and then under a rabbi they split and started using the orthodox liturgy. And then eventually they hired orthodox rabbis to do this. So we used the Orthodox prayer book. It was in fact the very same prayer book I have here which belonged to my father, the Philip Birnbaum uh, Sidur. This is very special to me. Okay. I want you to listen in the Sabbath service when the Torah is being returned to the ark because this is something I really remember Okay. And this is the end. This was usually where the cantor would come in and start leading the congregation in song. He would come in with, Ki lek achtov natati lachem. Um, I give you good instruction, forsake not my Torah. And here comes the key passage. Eitz he hi lemachazikimbo v'tom hechem meushor. It is a tree of life or it is the tree of life to those who take hold of it and happy are those who support it. Its ways are ways of pleasantness and all its paths are peace. Those two passages in the opposite order are found in the book of Proverbs. But the important thing is, for a Jewish person, what is Eitzchayim? What is the tree of life? It's the Torah itself. Okay? It's the Torah itself. And then comes a passage from Lamentations. Hashivenu Adonoi Eilecha Venashuva chadeish Yamenu kekedem. Turn us to thee, O Lord, and let us return. Renew our days as of old. Okay? So here you have the identification of Torah as the tree of life, and you have the need for us to make teshuvah, to turn around, to turn from our self with a small s to our self with a capital S-E-L-F, which is God, And then we will return and our days will be renewed. Okay? Very important. Now, if Torah is the tree of life, is Eitz Chaim, here comes another thing, and I may have alluded to this with you. Um, Totally different take on what happens after that little incident in the garden where Adam and Eve ate something they weren't supposed to. What were Adam and Eve prohibited from eating? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now what is it to know good and evil? What kind of thinking is that? It's dualistic thinking. Dualistic. What's the highest principle of Judaism? Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Eternal, our God, the Eternal is the one and only. It's unity. What represents unity in the Garden of Eden? Anyone? The Tree of Life, the Eitzchayim. Were Adam and Eve ever prohibited from eating from the Tree of Life? No. No. And here comes the interesting thing. When they are sent forth, you have the angel with the flaming sword that is sent, and every Bible I see in English translated to guard the way to the tree of life. Eh, wrong. It is not to guard the way to the tree of life, but Lishmor et Derech to guard the way of the tree of life. And if Chochmah is the tree of life in Proverbs, and if the Torah is understood to be divine instruction and divine wisdom, and it is the tree of life, what is the angel actually guarding? It's guarding you as you walk the way of the tree of life. In other words, you made a mess in the garden there? Fine. Walk this way, you'll learn how to mend the world. Tikkun olam. Mending the world. This is the whole thing that Torah is about. This is what Torah, it's an operating manual for fixing the world. Because unfortunately, we do live in a broken world. But Judaism's understanding is that we were given this so that you could go forth and fix it. You are to go forth and fix it. Do you find injustice? Fix it. Do you find inequality? Fix it. Do you find oppression? Fix it. Here's how you go about doing it. Now, I think the time has come. Big questions, I'm sure, in everybody's mind. I would strongly recommend two things. One is the little essay from Oray Aish, which presents one Mystically Informed Understanding. Of, uh, this was available last week, and if you need more copies, I'm sure more can be run off. And this book by Lawrence Kushner, God Was in This Place, and I, I Did Not Know. And finding self, spirituality, and meaning and it's all on that one passage, and he looks at some of the great figures in Jewish commentary. Rashi, the Kotzker Rebbe, who is, by the way, every time you get around the Kotzker Rebbe, you better buckle your seatbelt, you're in for a wild ride. Ludomir, um, the, the maid of Ludomir. Ravdov Ber, the storyteller of Mezrich. Rav Shmuel bar Nachmani, Moshe De Leon. Moshe De Leon who wrote, compiled the Zohar, the Bible of mystical Judaism. Uh, Shimshon ben Pesach Osterpolar. Now, why do we do all this Midrash? Why do we do all this Midrash? Because ultimately, ultimately, if the Torah is just a scroll in the synagogue, If it's just a book on your shelf, if it's just an interesting text, what good is it? How do you make the Torah your own? This is why, in that other wonderful case where a would be convert had come to Shammai and said, I will learn the whole Torah, I will become a Jew if you can teach me the whole Torah while standing on one foot. And Shammai chased him away with his measuring rod to say, you don't measure up, buddy. Then he came to Hillel with the same challenge. Hillel stood on one foot, I have to lean on the stender, and said, that which is hateful to thyself, do not do to others. That is the Torah, the rest is commentary. Now, go study. And the real key to that is not the summary of the law, but those final two words. zil Gomor. Go study. That's why, you know, when I was, I sort of imagined if I were asked by, you know, Dan and uh, Pastor Michael, uh, you know, how long do you need to teach the Torah? Zev? Well, since I can't turn back the clock to your childhood, I guess the rest of your life will have to do. For a devout Jew... The study of Torah is a lifelong occupation. There is literally no measure to the amount of time you can allot to it. No measure. Okay? I think I'm done at this point on Torah. Next week we're going to change gears. I've got two weeks to do what are called Nevi'im Rishonim, the earlier prophets, otherwise known by that impronounceable tongue twister, the Deuteronomistic history, which is Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Think we can do it in two weeks? Yeah. Yeah, that's just like the house, ho- the, you know, when, you, when you're getting your house remodeled and you ask the contractor, how long is this going to take? Oh, about two weeks. Thank you.